This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. For Inside Carolina, I'm Taylor Vipolis, and you're listening to this podcast, which is a part of the Inside Carolina Podcast Network. So first off, thank you for being here. If you haven't already subscribed to Inside Carolina, do that wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube so you never miss any of the content our team at IC puts out. It hardly takes any time, and it helps us out a lot. Also, speaking of support, we want to support the people that support us. So that's why on this podcast, I have to remind everybody about Jimmy's Famous Seafood. The reason they wanted to sponsor this podcast is simple. They're owned by UNC fans. With the pandemic and indoor dining restricted, it's currently a tough time to be a locally owned business. So it's helping out one of our own. And at the same time, you get ridiculously good seafood at a great price. It's a true win-win. Their owner, John, was actually just on the Today Show for raising over $500,000 for other restaurants and bars in the Baltimore area. So they're really great people who could use the help. For everybody wondering, my go-to order is the famous gift box where you get two massive crab cakes, two different kinds of crab soup, and a half pint of crab dip. Visit them online at jimmysfamousseafood.com. And at checkout, use the code hashtag GDTBATH for free two-day shipping. That's promo code hashtag GDTBATH. As always, I'm joined by my guy, Carolina basketball legend from the Oklahoma City Thunder, Justin Jackson. Justin, another up and down week on this roller coaster of a season for Carolina basketball. Let's start with the good. Carolina beat FSU 78-70. They started slow and then they outscored the Seminoles by 20 points in the second half. I think it was 49 to 29. Watching that game, what were your biggest takeaways? Um, you know, I think for one was the fight that they had. Um, you know, I know we talked about, you know, previously kind of that you know, either having that leader or having that mindset of like when somebody, you know, makes a run or whatever, being able to kind of regroup and keep going. Um, and I think they definitely showed that. Obviously, like you said, they, they outscored them, but they really just outplayed them completely um, in the second half of that game. And I think that was the biggest takeaway for me was, you know, they didn't just kind of lay down. They kept on playing and against a really good team, um, you know, they were the enforcers. So, I think that was that was the biggest thing for me taken away of uh, of that Florida State game. Yeah, and I think that game is going to be known as the Walker Kessler game, where he goes off for twenty points, and it was a point where I think the last four games leading up to that, he had just kept getting better and better, and it led to that uh, dominant performance against FSU, where he goes for twenty points on nine of ten shooting. When you watch that game and that was the first game fans were allowed back in the Dean Dome. You've played in games with no fans. You've played in games with fans. How much do you think fans being allowed back in the Dean Dome impacted that game where the team was able to feed off that energy when they did make a push in that second half? Um, I mean, it's fans. I mean, 
fans make the games, honestly. Um, you know, without fans, it's really like the environment is really just kind of a, a practice type scrimmage game, you know, even though like they've got, you know, all the visuals and the music playing, all that sort of stuff. Like when, when you have fans in there and you make a run, you hit a couple shots, like it, it, it fills you up a little bit more. It gives you more energy. It gets you going. Um, and so I think you definitely saw that in, in a game like the Florida state game, um, you know, when they started making the run in the second half, you could tell they were feeding off of what they were getting from the crowd. And so, you know, going forward, hopefully now that they, you know, they've got a big one on Saturday. So hopefully they can, um, you know, feed off that, you know, as, as the games go on, obviously the season's starting to come to an end a little bit, but, you know, I think crowds and fans are huge for the game. FSU was ranked 11th in the country. That was UNC's first win over a AP ranked team in its last 10 games. So, a huge win for Carolina, a huge win for Roy Williams. It was his 900th career win. He's only the fourth coach to do it and the fastest to ever do it. You were there for 92 of those wins, and you were also there for the 800th win. What was it like for you to be a part of that history and witness the success Coach Williams has had in the college basketball game? Um, I mean, I think the craziest thing is obviously 900 wins, 800 wins. That's a lot of wins, right? But, like, you look at the amount of games that it took him to get to that. Like, it's not much more than the wins that he has, you know? So it's like that right there is just an unbelievable, you know, when you think about that. And I think, honestly, what was so amazing to me about being there for the 800 win um, was how humble Coach is, right? Like, Coach really didn't want to have some big, like, you know, celebration or like, you know, ceremony or whatever you want to call it. Like he just, it was just another win for him, you know? And so, you know, I think that's what's so cool about it, but you think about 900 wins, man, that's a lot of games that you've gone out there and you've gotten wins in the, you know, in the win and loss column. So, um, you know, I think it's just a testament to really how good of a coach he is. Yeah. That's the difference between me and Roy Williams. If I win 900 games, I'm getting <laughs> carried around. <laughs> I want the key to my city. I'm waving through this. <laughs> but do you think that moment and that win would be something UNC could build off? And we'd have two wins to talk about this week instead of just the Florida State win. But it can never be that easy for us. UNC on Monday, they lose to Syracuse in another head scratcher, 70 to, 72 to 70. You don't have to look much further than the orange scoring 28 points off 20 UNC turnovers. You know, the coaching staff is making it a point of emphasis before games and practices to take better care of the ball. But how do you go out and execute that in a game when things are moving so fast and you're out there trying to make plays? Yeah. I, I mean, I think, um, I think the problem is a lot of their turnovers seem to be, uh, you know, them trying to just do too much. You know what I mean? Like it's, Instead of making a simple play, you know, somebody tries to do something a little extra. Um, and I think the difference between the Florida State game and the Syracuse game is Florida State, when it comes to, like, their schemes, like, defensively, offensively, like, it's it's similar to how North Carolina wants to play, right? Offensively, they want to get out in transition. Defensively, they're going to pressure. They're going to be, you know, trying into the passing lane, stuff like that. So it's very similar to how UNC – plays so like UNC in the Florida State game was able to really like exploit kind of that pressure you know so it so it opens up driving lanes a little bit more it gives bigs a little bit more space 
Then you go into a game against Syracuse, who all they want to do is slow the game down, right? That's why they play the zone offensively. Most of the time they walk it up. Um, and against a team like that, like you have to make simple, precise plays, right? Like you can't have a home run play against the Syracuse zone just because that's it's literally built against that. And so I think that's kind of what you saw was like guys were trying to do a little too much instead of just taking what Syracuse was giving them. Um, and, you know, turnovers are part of the game, obviously, but when you say 28 points off of 20 turnovers, like that, it's supposed to be a very small margin and that's a bit huge margin. Um, so, you know, hopefully it's just, you know, them kind of learning. I don't know how many teams they'll really play. Hopefully, you know, they make the tournament and go on. I don't know how many teams are going to play with a zone like Syracuse. Um, so hopefully they can kind of learn from this experience and they can, you know, like we talked about before, keep getting better. Turnovers throughout the whole game. You have 60 turnovers the last three games, and it's not even like it's just one or two players committing it against Syracuse. Brooks had four, Davis had four, Baycott, Love, and Sharp each had three. Do you know the most turnovers you ever had in a game at UNC? I have it here. Uh, I'd probably say four or five, maybe. Five. You got to five, five? one time against <laughs> Davidson. Dang. I was Your really just turning the ball Davidson. over. What was going on that game? Man, I don't, I don't even know to be honest. I think that was, I think that was the game that the, my undershirt was a tighter undershirt. I think uh, that's what it was. It, it kind of, it ruined. Yeah, it's medium. The shirts you wear, so it kind of like kind of messed up my mojo a little bit. That's probably what it was. <laughs> In your career, you were five and zero oh against Syracuse. What is it like going up against that zone, and what would you say the keys are for beating it? Um, I mean, for one, you know. I think a big problem with those, it goes back to the turnovers. A big problem with those turnovers were like four of the people that you named that had three or more were the bigs, right? Like against that zone, you have to try to get into the middle, which usually is going to be the big in the middle um, or get something like inside the middle of that zone. Right. And so it's like, if you can do that, then it opens up either kickouts, it opens up drop downs to the other big that's down low or you turn around and you shoot it, right? Um, and so I think for, you know, while I was there, I mean, I had Kennedy, I had Isaiah, I had Bryce. Like, I had guys that when we threw it in there, like, they weren't necessarily turning the ball over or they, they were making the right play every time, right? And then you also you add, we had a ton of shooting on the perimeter, you know? So, like, against a zone, obviously, they want you to just bomb threes all game long. But – you know, you want to try to get inside, but you also have to have guys who can make those three-point shots to make that zone expand a little bit more to then open it up the inside. Um, and I think that's kind of what the issue was. Like, Kerwin just had a bad shooting night. It happens, you know. So if you rely on, on him for shooting and he has a bad shooting night and there's not really anybody else that, like, steps up to really knock down shots like that, then it's, you know, it goes back to exactly what, you know, the issue has been all, all season. Then they can just compact the lane and just stay in on the bigs. Um, and so I think that was really the biggest, like when we fed our bigs in the middle of the zone, like they were going to make the right play. You know, they were going to make the right read. They could go and get a bucket themselves, you know, and then also we had all the shooting on the outside if we really need to knock down a shot. So, you know, I think that was kind of the balance that we had. And I think that's why we had so much success against the Syracuse. 
When you also compare the teams you played on in this team, I think one of the biggest differences between this team and some of the more recent teams is that you guys all moved without the ball really well. While this year and last year, it almost feels like it's a lot of guys just standing around the perimeter or just standing around on the court hoping somebody can make a play. How does that help an offense where you guys have playmakers, but you also had guys who could make cuts and work off each other off the ball as well? Yeah, I mean, it's huge. You know, I think a part of it is just, you know, I, I played on teams that were a little bit older, you know, so like a young team like like the team is this year, um, you know, they're still trying to fill out just – a zone in general, like that Syracuse zone, like when you first see it, it's like, it's way different than any other zone you played against. So a lot of times, you know, you're just trying to figure out, okay, like what, what should I be doing in this situation? Like, you know, when I was there, we had guys that already knew, okay, you know what, like if we, if we make a back cut here, it's going to make this player move in, which then opens up, you know, a spot for somebody else on the perimeter or whatever. Um, and really just moving out the, without the ball against the Syracuse zone is like it messes them up the most, you know, because they're always – they're trying to look around, trying to figure out where you're at, stuff like that. But I think it just goes back to just being a young team. Like they haven't played against that zone. And, you know, a lot of times you think, okay, if you pass into the middle, then you just you – you wait and see what happens, you know. But instead, like really trying to make different like windows for – the big to pass out or different spots to try to find that you can keep the defense honest. Um, and I think, you know, that just takes time to kind of read and see. Going off that point of being a young team, if you take out the Northeastern game, that's eight games where the team has alternated wins and losses. When they look good, they look really good. And when they look bad, they look really bad. We're 24 games in 80 practices. Like Roy mentioned, how does a young team build consistency? You know, I think it's just, you know, I think it's holding on to those small successes that you might have, like against a Florida State game, a team. Um, the fact that they kept fighting, the fact that they came out in that second half and really were the aggressors and were really the ones out there making the plays and not having the other team make the plays on them. Um, you know, it's a matter of taking that and then applying it to the next game, you know, applying it from the start instead of waiting until the second half, right? Like, and, and being the aggressor, being the, being the person to really hit first. Um, and as a young team, it's just finding those little, those little victories that you might have in a previous game that you, maybe you won, maybe you didn't win and applying it to the next game for the whole entire game. Right. And then just continuing to get better. I mean, the problem with being a young team, like we talked about before, a lot of times you need time but this year time just isn't really there, you know? So it's like in those moments when you can apply whatever success you had to the next game, doing that. Um, and then each and every individual just getting better every day, you know, whether that's before practice, after practice, um, on an off day, whatever, like just trying to continue to get better. And, you know, hopefully as, as the season kind of comes to a close, they can kind of put all of that together um, and then go and make a, a big run. On Monday, Carolina was four of 20 shooting the three. What can you do as a team when the three isn't falling to still go out and win and just and just kind of lose the mindset of, you know, if our three's not going in, we're not going to win. So how do you kind of get past that? It's tough against the zone. 
I think that's what's so hard about it is like in a, in a game against the Syracuse zone, it's really hard to, you know, to miss that many threes or not have many threes at all fall for you and still have success. Now against this, against a man to man or whatever it might be, you can run plays to try to get driving lanes. You can run um, things for, you know, for post-ups, you can do different things to offset a bad shooting night, you know, but against the Syracuse zone, it's really, really tough. But I think going back to kind of your point, moving without the ball, getting easy things like that, that I think that was the one thing that stood out to me. Like they really never got like easy buckets. You know what I mean? Like there was never really, Oh, okay. Back cut here. That's an easy layup, you know, or, you know, we, we make some sort of play and then, you know, Garrison gets an easy 15 footer, you know, like it, it really wasn't many easy plays for him. And I think when you're not shooting the ball, well, especially for each individual player, to see the ball go in is really what you need. And so you need some sort of easy back cut layup or some sort of easy fast break layup. You see the ball go through, or maybe you get a foul free throws. Um, and they just really didn't have much of that. And so I think going forward, like I said, without a zone, you can draw up different plays. You can run different things to get those type of things, but they just have to kind of see that and read like, okay, you know what? We're just not shooting the ball well tonight, you know, and it's tough in that something kind of underrated too is like Syracuse's gym is a football stadium, you know, like even though they close out the whole rest of the, the, the stadium, like the depth perception, everything is way different than what you play in the whole season. So it's a matter of saying, okay, you know what? Like, we're just not hitting shots today. Let's try to get something easy for whoever, you know, and try to get something going there. The last two games, Kerwin Walton is three of 17 from three. His release might be a bit slow because defenders have been closing out and they've been blocking a lot more of his shots recently. I think they've blocked five shots of his the past two games. He's a great shooter when uncontested, but how do you expect him to kind of adjust to the speed of closeouts as a great shooter who can knock down shots when, when it is uncontested, but maybe has to adjust to the speed of the college game when he, he is moving up further and further up scouting reports because of his ability to shoot the ball. Yeah. I mean, it's just, um, I think that's what really helped him in the beginning of the season was Kerwin kind of came out of nowhere, you know, like, Nobody really knew what Kerwin could do, you know, how good of a shooter he was, um, what his play style really was, you know, and so he was able to get a lot of wide open jump shots, you know, and obviously now he's made a name for himself as a shooter, you know, and so on the scouting report, I'm sure on scouting reports, it's make him drive, um, no airspace, right, don't help off him. So all the shots that he gets are going to be shots where, you know, I got to get him off a little bit quicker or I have to make a little bit quicker of a decision if I'm going to shoot it or if I'm going to drive or if I'm going to do that, you know? And so once again, he's another freshman, right? Like, so it's like for him also seeing that and processing like, okay, you know what? Like these guys really are trying to run me off the line. So maybe, you know, maybe one of the things is he shoots from a little bit deeper, right? Gives him himself a little bit more space from the defender because obviously he's shown that he can shoot, you know, at a long distance. Right. So it's like give himself a little bit more space or, you know, maybe just working on getting the shot off just a little bit quicker without, you know, changing how he shoots. Um, 
but it's just different now because he is, like you said, he's on, he's higher up on scouting reports, you know? And so now it's, he's really, uh, you know, when the team comes in, they're like, okay, we got to close out to him. Like we can't let him get any easy shots. And so it's just, you know, for him, it's finding different ways. Like, like I said, whether it's shooting deeper or, you know, getting it off just a little bit quicker, you know, I think he, obviously he's a great shooter. So I think he can find different ways to do it. Um, it's just a matter of now he's seeing different things than he saw in high school In high school, you can get a shot off whenever you want. Right. But once you get to college, it's way more athleticism. Guys are a little bit longer. Guys are probably taller. Um, and so it's like, you really got to find different ways to try to get it off. One player who did shoot the ball well was Buddy Bayheim. He was six of 13 from three. You know, that was probably, if not at the top, the top thing on Carolina's uh, scouting report to limit Buddy Bayheim getting those clean looks off. How frustrating is it to not execute something that is at the top of the game plan when you know it's coming and it's, you know it's the top thing that you have to stop? It is tough. Um... Because if you look, if you really look at it, if they would have stopped Buddy Bayon, it would have been a pretty simple game. You know, like they're really, other than the, I can't remember and don't really remember how to say his last name, but the guy who was hurt, it seemed like the first half and then came out the second half. Um, there really wasn't much, you know, scoring from the rest of the guys. Um, and so, you know, obviously with the scouting report, you know, I'm sure their scouting report was, you know, don't let them get any open looks, you know, kind of the same thing that Kerwin probably is seeing, but kind of with the offense or the defense that North Carolina runs, like whether it's helping, whether it's throwing in a random trap or, you know, changing up the defenses a little bit, like at times guys can kind of get loose. Um, and, you know, it's funny, like thinking back. So when Cam, obviously, you know, he was at UNC and now he's, you know, in the league, but when he was at Pittsburgh, right, he was, um, you know, we knew he was a shooter. It was kind of the same thing, like run to his body, don't leave any airspace. But that game coach decided to run a lot of different traps, right? A lot of things to try to speed the the point guards up and all that sort of stuff. Well, when you do that, like for us, that game, when we did that, it left cam open. You know, which is like you would think, like, why is this guy open? Like, why why are they not guarding this guy? But because of all the traps that we were running, we were scrambling around trying to find different guys. He just so happened to be the guy that was open. You know, and I think you kind of saw that a couple of times in the Syracuse game. Uh, you know, coach was trying to kind of speed the game up a little bit, get those get some of those point guards a little razzled a little bit. And the problem with that sometimes is that the guys that you don't want to be open end up being open. Um but then on the other end, he was also hitting some tough shots too. You know, you got to give him some of the credit as well. He was hitting some tough little mid-range shots. Some and ones that he had were really tough shots. Um, and so you got to give him some credit as well. But, you know, it is tough just kind of with our defense at times. It's not just one-on-one -on -one defense. You know, like a lot of times it turns into team defense, scrambling around, trying to find different people. And unfortunately, he was at times the guy that was open. You had mentioned how – challenging it is playing in the carrier dome with those sight lines and how it does kind of give Syracuse an advantage having practice there. And it's not something you're, you guys were totally used to. Um, and going off that point, Carolina, they're nine and one at home this year. They're three and one on neutral sites and then three and seven on the road with no fans in a COVID type year, you would think home court advantage would be 
basically null and void yet. It looks like it's the opposite for this young team for Carolina. What makes playing on the road so difficult? I mean, I think it really is just like, it's, I think it's small things, right? Like it's like when you're in the Dean Dome, everything that you do good, like you're praised for like over the music or over the, you know, announcer or the pregame video is you like everything that is going on is North Carolina. Right. And even though it's not fans, like you go to Syracuse and they've got fan noise. Right. So it's like, they go on a small run and you hear that. And it's like, you know, it's still different than if you were at home. And I think too, just like visually, like, like I, when I was at, at, at school, like I did a lot of my extra workouts and shooting and stuff like that on the main court. Right. So like, you know, we would practice on the main court. So everything would kind of be like shut down or whatever. So I would do everything on the main court. So like I was able to really get used to the like just how the Dean Dome felt. Right. Like all these other schools, you've never felt it before. And as a young team and as a team, like trying to figure things out. Right. Like those little things can really cause cause some issues. But I mean, I think, too, like whether it is like you know, off the court distractions or, you know, just being different as far as like staying in a hotel the night before or whatever, like maybe some of that is, I'm not totally sure. Um, but, uh, you know, they'll have, I guess I have to figure it out. Cause I mean, once the tournament starts, everything's going to be away games or neutral site, you know? So it's like, you got to figure it out sometime, you know? Do you have any guesses of how you ranked as a three point shooter home away neutral? you have any guesses? I have the percentages here. I would say I shot, ooh, like overall, all three years? Yeah, percentage-wise. Um, neutral sites was probably my worst, I would say, maybe. Um, home was probably best, I would say. So away games were worse. I don't know what the percentage would be, though. The away games were the worst, 31%. The home games were the second. 33% neutral, 37%. Must be all the <laughs> tournaments. Really stepped up. It was definitely all the tournaments, man. It was because it was all because the Wilson ball, though, man. It's that's why. <laughs> at, the, at the end of the day, this is still a young team, like you mentioned. How much of an improvement did you see in your game personally from your freshman to a sophomore year? Because this Carolina team, they have the McDonald's All-American freshman, they have five uh, freshmen that have won ACC uh, freshman of the week. How much of an improvement did you see in your game? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's huge. Like from year to year, um, you definitely see it. Um, and I think too, a lot of it is just confidence, you know, like just in basketball, as time goes on, like the game kind of slows down for you a little bit. You've seen things before. So like, you're able to like get ready for that and prepare for that. Um, and I think a lot of times like that's that's kind of the biggest thing from like jumping from freshman to sophomore, sophomore, junior, junior, senior. The game just kind of slows down. You're able to you feel a lot more comfortable. You have a lot more confidence. Um, and I think a lot of that, too, you know, comes down to like the offseason work that you put in and stuff like that. But I think, you know, if this team kind of stays together, man, like if they you know, if they go into the off season and they really focus in there, they set their minds to like, okay, this is what we want to accomplish next year individually and as a team. 
I think you will see a completely different team um, that's more confident, more comfortable out there. I don't think you'll have games necessarily where it's like, what in the world are they doing? You know, um, guys just kind of look lost. Um, I think you'll see guys that really are, you know, they'll be able to really show the true player that they are because now they've seen things, you know, and they're more comfortable. So, you know, that'll be really interesting to kind of see the growth from that standpoint. The flip side of that, I guess, is that you do have freshman standouts who could test the waters and try to go to the NBA, guys like Dayron Sharp, Caleb Love. You went to the Combine after your sophomore year. What was that experience like when you were contemplating whether or not to return and the feedback you got both from your coaches and NBA executives? Yeah, I mean, I think the, 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 best, the best part of it was, you know, like that's where you're trying to make it. You know, like you're trying to make it to the NBA. And when you go to the combine, you meet with these different coaches and these different teams, they tell you exactly like, you know, what they think you need to be able to do once you get to the NBA, you know? And so then knowing that for me, it was like, okay, I need to do this, this, and this better. So I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to focus on those things. You know, um, I didn't really think about the whole money aspect. I didn't think about like, dang, like, if I leave right now, I can make this much money or whatever. It was more of, okay, I want to be able, because at the end of the day, the NBA isn't just about making it to the NBA. You know, it's about really making it and sticking for as long as you possibly can. And so knowing what the coaches and stuff like that, you know, say that you need to get better at, you're able to go back and your off-season work is going to resemble and work on those things. And you'll be able to really work on the things that will get you to the next level, but will also help you and that team, you know, at UNC for that next year, you know? So that's why I decided to come back. And like you said, I'm sure a bunch of those guys will try to do the same thing as far as just kind of getting feedback and figuring out, you know, kind of where they are in that process. Um, but I think that's a big thing to like really look at is, okay, these are the things that they say I need to do better. So I need to work on this and I want to try to stay in the NBA as long as I possibly can. So whether that's leaving this year, whether that's leaving next year, whatever it might be, I want to stay for as long as I can. And so, you know, hopefully that's kind of the mindset that they have. How involved was Roy with that process and whether or not you would come back? Because I think I read a story um, right before we got on about Kobe White when he was kind of deciding and he Kobe was kind of explaining like to Roy that he had never planned to be a one and done type player, but Roy was like, you're going to be a first round pick. You know, you, you might not get any better from this year to next year or not that he won't get better, but it won't be enough to where it offsets him like jumping even higher in the lottery. So kind of how was Roy involved in, in your process? Yeah. I mean, he was, you know, he was kind of, the he would, he would start the process, I guess I would say, like he would get some feedback from different coaches and stuff like that. Um, and then he would, you know, he would kind of pass this, you know, pass it on to, I think it was coach Freddie at the time, as far as like workouts um, and, you know, setting up the combine, you know, if you're invited to the combine, um, but coach was good as far as like, he would tell kind of what he thought we needed to get better at. Um, where he thought that, you know, we could possibly go and stuff like that. Um, you know, I think it's like uh, Kobe's um, story sounds very similar to like the story that I heard about Marvin, 
right? Like back whenever Marvin went, he ended up going number two overall. Um, but like, he didn't want to leave, you know, like he really didn't want to leave college, but coach, you know, was like, Hey, look, you're going to go really, really high in this draft. Like you need to go ahead and leave. You need to go and start this, this, this journey of the NBA. Um, and so coach is good as far as, I mean, coach 900 wins. He sees a lot of players come in and out, right. A lot of players that go high in the draft, a lot of players that are kind of on the, you know, the brink of getting drafted, all that sort of stuff. So like he understands what it takes to get to the NBA. So he's, he's super big in that process. Carolina versus Duke to close out the regular season this Saturday, which is good for the Tar Heels. If you believe in the alternating of the wins and the losses means they're, they're due for a win. It's two teams on the NCAA bubble. What are you kind of expecting for Saturday? Um, you know, I think we'll see because, I mean, Duke's been playing a lot better. Um, you know, I think Duke's a lot better team than the first Duke team that they played against. Um, and it's at, it's at, it's in the Dean Dome this time. So, you know, hopefully we come out to, hopefully we come out to play. Um, I think that would be another big win for the morale of the team, for the morale of the fans. Um, you know, I think that would be a big, a big win. So we'll see. I'll be locked in, man. All-star break's about to start, so I'll, I'll be locked in for that game. Duke versus North Carolina normally doesn't disappoint, regardless of the records. We'll be back next week to break that down, as well as the ACC tournament getting underway. Justin, appreciate the time as always, and hope you enjoyed that uh, all-star break. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.